Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined by Matt Williamson. Matt, it's almost here. Steelers camp and all training camps are almost open. This is your the last calm before the storm for you and uh, for, of course, for the NFL players and, and Dynasty players as well. How's it going? It's going great. I leave for vacation tomorrow, and I go to this family camp with my with my family, obviously. And that's like my last calm before the storm, because as soon as I get back, I move into the dorms, old school, St. Vincent's College, tiny little college in the hill in the mountains here in in, in Pennsylvania, and I'll basically live and eat with the players, give or take, and. Uh, be part of the team to some degree. We're doing a lot of broadcasting up there, so it's going to be a blast. I'm, I'm psyched. It's a it's a good time. Can drag a little as it does for the players, but it's good stuff. Um, we have an awesome guest today. I'm excited about. But before I introduce him, I do want to introduce you to a new sponsor of our show. It's our friends at FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first Dynasty League, and they've now grown to be the world's largest Dynasty League commissioner, with leagues starting at 77 bucks to go as high as five grand if you want to enter. FFPC leagues are active and competitive, and not a single league has ever folded. It's pretty amazing. Brand new startup Dynasty Leagues are forming right now, starting at $77 and up. Standard Superflex and Best Ball formats. FFPC also has plenty of other great redraft formats, including Best Ball, Draft starting, including best ball draft starting at thirty-five bucks, all the way up to twelve fifty entry fee. Both slow and live leagues are filling and launching daily. Check out the FFPC Experience Dynasty Blueprint listeners. Go to myffpc. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Good stuff, Matt. You mentioned a great guest, and I agree. We do have a good one today, uh, and a first-time guest for us. We've got Ray Garvin. Ray is the host of the Destination Devi podcast, and uh, I'm excited to say Ray is uh, one of my brand new co-workers over at Dynasty League Football. We just brought him on. Uh, he's going to cover Devi stuff for us and, and much more. Welcome to the team. Welcome to the show, Ray. It's a good day today. Any Anytime you get, you get introduced to the part of the DLF family and then I get to uh, try to uh, work some magic on this show with you two. It's a it's a really good day. So excited to be on this show. Excited to be a part of the DLF family. Uh, couldn't couldn't thank you guys enough. Really appreciate the opportunity. Congratulations on your new gig. You're going to be a great asset to DLF. That's fantastic. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. I know these are some of Matt's favorite shows every year. When we get into the Devi, the uh, kind of the look ahead at the college football season and and the next year's. Uh, NFL draft, Matt. You don't. I know you don't get to follow that as much, covering the Steelers and and playing in your own leagues as uh, and things like that. So that's what we're going to do today. I've already mentioned it that Ray's specialty is uh, college football and Devi. Uh, Ray, it, it feels like you've made a, a quick ascension in this industry. Uh, I know you were were most recently with Dynasty Nerds. We uh, we love their stuff over there as well. How how did you get started in the fantasy industry? What's what's kind of your background? Yeah, it, it really has been a, a crazy ride this in the 2018-2019 year. Uh, love fantasy football, love dynasty football. The problem is in my home leagues, out of 12 owners, maybe about four are really, really into it. So trying to converse with those guys throughout the season and just not really getting the feedback. Once the season is over, it just goes dormant. 
So I just sort of took to Twitter and engaging with people on Twitter. A lot of times, you know, you don't get responses because I was just sort of new and just engaging with different people uh, on on that platform. And during uh, the pre-draft process this year, Garrett Price uh, over at Dynasty Nerds happened to see me doing some prospect breakdown stuff for some small school guys. I went to a, a small college myself. And he saw the work that I was doing on Twitter and and offered me an opportunity to do some stuff with Dynasty Nerds. And that's really how it got started. I just, you know, when you're passionate about something, whether you're doing it in an official capacity or just sort of freelance style, uh, that's what I was doing and was noticed and was grateful for that opportunity with the Dynasty Nerds. And that's really how I got started in the fantasy football industry. That's great. You have done some some great uh threads on Twitter, some great content for nerds, and I'm sure that will continue for us over at DLF. Uh, Let's get into the show today. One of the things that I've noticed recently that you've been talking about a lot is uh, this new dynasty league you started. It's a a Devi league, of course, but I don't know, Ray, I I don't know if (laughs) if you've followed my work, but I, I love coming up with kind of unique, crazy concepts for dynasty leagues. And that's what you've done here. Tell us about the twist uh, that that's really at the center of this new league you've come up with. Well, yeah. So, well, a part of the, the, the gift and the curse of doing prospect breakdowns and film thread analysis on Twitter is it's sort of like the chicken versus the egg dilemma, which came first or, you know, what's better. You've got the, the group of film grinders, I would say, and then you've got the analytical side where tape doesn't matter, the numbers are what matter. You don't need to watch the game is the data is here. This, this evidence is going to help us predict fantasy success or failure. Well, I believe in both to a certain degree, but I consider myself 51% film and 49% data. <laughs> so what I wanted to do was get six hardcore guys who are just film, tape, zealots to their core. You know, that is how you evaluate prospects to, to figure out fantasy success or failure. And then I wanted to get six guys who – it's about the numbers, it's the data, it's the analytical side, and get us in a group together to communicate, you know, throughout the season and really draft. I wanted to see, are there any differences in draft strategy? How do, how do the film grinders, you know, value these players opposed to the, the analytical side? So that's really, it was just an idea. I did not think that it would take off the way it did, but um, it seems to be a little something there. I really enjoy the dialogue. There's a lot of trash talk in the group chat. And uh, it was a really interesting concept that I think has some room to grow in the future. We'll see how it goes. Bray, I think that's an awesome idea. And I'm sitting here thinking we should organize one for an NFL redraft league. You know, just have the numbers dudes and get, have the nerds versus jocks kind of thing. You know? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And you know, when you're picking too, that if you're, if you're surrounded by, if you're a jock and you're surrounded by two nerds, you're like, well, that guy's definitely not going to pick that player. You know, like there's some guys you know wouldn't won't get taken, and I assume that happened with yours too. Absolutely, and that and that's what I said when we were doing this. I said half of the guys are going to feel like they've got insane value falling down the board, right? And, and the other half, or what the heck are those guys doing? They have no clue what's going on. Why would you? <laughs> why would you even take this player right here? So, and that's what's ha- that is what's happened. Uh, in this early inception of this league, well, let's let's get into that and let's put some names to these guys. 
you started out, at least I think you started the entire league. Was the Devi draft first, or did you do the actual Dynasty startup draft first? Yeah, we did the actual startup draft first. And, okay. And that way we can trade some picks around, and then we just finished up the Devi draft earlier this okay. year. Okay. So, yeah, the, the Devi uh, draft, it was a three-round draft. That's what I've I've really been following closely. So who's one one college player, one Devi player that – that really shows up on film, but maybe the the numbers, the analytics community might not be sold on them yet. Who who comes to your mind? Ryan, can I ask one question first, if you don't mind, for sure. some of us that aren't real Debbie experienced? Is any college player eligible? I mean, like, as long as he is enrolled, is he eligible, or do they have to be a year away from the draft or something? Well, the, the thing is, there are so many different renditions and formats for Debbie. I mean, there are some where you can draft high school prospects. I don't wow. I don't play in any of those. I mean, I, I think that's a little too far out. But anybody who is in college, uh, incoming freshman, uh, freshman. It almost college, sounds yeah. indecent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're not 18 yet. You know, like, sorry, I, I can't be analyzing you yet. Yeah, so, well, so anybody, you, you have your free reign. You know, 2020 guys, 2021, 2022. Wow. I mean, you've got the full uh, – and, and that's what's so beautiful about it. There are how many FBS teams in college football? So if you really know your stuff, you can dive deep and find some of these players. So it's whomever you want. If they're in college, okay. you can draft them. Wow. One guy that – and I want to – I really want to dive deep. I, I can give you a lot of names of people that we know right now, but somebody that really pops on film and in honor of the Scott Fishbowl uh, and the tight end premium format, I think it would be appropriate to name uh, a collegiate tight end who I'm really, really high on on film, but the numbers really don't back it, and it's Oklahoma tight end Grant Calcaterra. Uh, young guy, super athletic tight end. He's had the privilege of playing with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. So, you know, collegiate tight ends aren't really used how they are in the NFL. It's really hard to predict. Uh, George Kittle at Iowa, I mean, he did absolutely nothing at Iowa. And, you know, tight end one, tight end two in, in dynasty formats. But Grant Calcaterra, six foot four, I think he's about 230 pounds. Very, very athletic guy. He He's not somebody that you're going to stick in line to block. He really can't block very well, but in space as that flex tight end. I think for tight end premium formats, I think he is a budding star. And, and the numbers don't back it. I mean, 300 and something yards last year. I think he had 100 yards his freshman year receiving. But on tape, I, I think that this season, Grant Calcaterra is going to be a name that's that starts to pick up steam, just like Hawkinson did this past year. Ray, we've talked about it uh... In, in, on this show in the past, I'm sure you've talked about it and thought about it a lot. It seems like when you're playing Debbie, when you're scouting these college guys, tight end might be the toughest spot to scout from a fantasy perspective, trying to, uh, trying to project which of these college tight ends are actually going to turn into to NFL stars. You mentioned Kittle, you mentioned Hawkinson, and I mean, this time last year, most of us didn't know who TJ Hawkinson was. I know I didn't. And the same with Kittle as he was uh, coming up through his college career. So um, I guess I, I, it feels like most times the numbers are not going to support those those tight ends because they're just they're just not key parts of their respective offenses. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that is part of the reason why you do have to watch some level of film. I'm not saying you have to be a film grinder, but even me, you know, I didn't watch much Kittle, you know, during that, that draft process, but 
maybe had we paid a little more attention, you would have been able to capitalize on that that potential. You know, his his upside, his athleticism. He didn't just get athletic with the San Francisco 49ers. He was athletic at Iowa, but, you know, limited production. The numbers weren't there. We weren't paying attention to the George Kittles of the world. So you're absolutely right. It's it's really hard to to scout and find that tight end, but we all love to say we did, right? We all love to be <laughs> the ones who jump on the tight end early and, and I got my guy. And for some reason, it seems like, you know, recently that's the that is the position that people really want to hit on is that tight end spot. That's interesting to me because I have a pretty extensive recruiting background. I was a recruiting assistant at Pitt for three years and at Akron. And those tight ends, I mean, oftentimes when you're recruiting those kids, we just called them body type guys. I mean, if you're 6'4 and up, athletic, lean, a lot of them have basketball backgrounds, we're just going to bring them on campus, feed them steaks and lobsters, <laughs> keep them in the weight room. They may turn into a left tackle with good feet. They may turn into an athletic tight end. Maybe they're an edge rusher. So I, I would bet those body types in particular are really hard, especially early in their college careers. Yeah, absolutely. I think Kittle was a, a, a they said a scrawny guy when he got to Iowa, and then all of a yeah. sudden he just filled out, and, and now he's that dominant force for, for the Niners. So absolutely, Matt. Um, before we get into the quarterbacks, I'd like to tell people about Harry's, if that's all right with you, Ryan. You guys need to join the 10 million who have tried Harry's, and you can claim your special offer by going to harrys.com. Slash Dynasty. I'm sure many of you have already. I've told you about them many times. I am one of those 10 million that have switched over to Harry's. My skin is very sensitive. When I used a straight razor, I'd break out. And so I was an electric guy for a long time until I came across Harry's. It's great stuff. I mean, uh, Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a very fair price. They're only $2 per blade. To keep prices low, they just cut out the middleman. They own a world-class blade factory in Germany. They've been making some of the best razor blades in the world for 99 years. So they provide great quality at a factory direct price. They also have a 100% guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. But that's never been the case for me. Um, this summer refresher, this summer you need to refresh your wallet and face with a Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted, wonderful handle for an easy grip. Five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave. Rich lathering shave gel that'll leave you smelling great. My wife loves it. And a travel blade cover to help uh, keep your razor dry and easy on the go, like when I take it on vacation tomorrow. Uh, listeners, listeners of our show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash dynasty. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash dynasty to redeem your offer and let them know that we sent you to help support the show. Ray, we mentioned that three-round uh, Devi draft that you guys did in your league to kick it off. It's a super flex league, and Trevor Lawrence goes 1.01. Uh, coming off his true freshman year, we know uh, he's got two years left in college before we can, uh, before most dynasty players can use those draft picks and, and get him on their team. That's that's tough for me you know that it's it's going to be such a long wait it's going to feel like a long wait at least how do you factor in that wait time or those eligibility issues when you're valuing Devi players and uh, I guess specifically Lawrence versus uh versus Tua uh, that is the uh, that is the crux of Devi right there it's waiting for that production because in Lawrence's case he's eligible in 2021 by all accounts, we think he's coming out. I mean, I, I don't see why he would come back for a senior year, but we said that last year uh, about pros- – we say that every year about different prospects. 
So what happens if he if he says, you know, I, I love Clemson, I want to stay for my senior year? Not only do you have to wait a year for that potential 2021 production, who's to say he's going to come into the NFL and produce right away? So I was thinking about this last night. You're really looking at, you know, potentially two to three years for actual elite fantasy production if he develops into what we believe he will be. I, I think when you're looking at Debbie, I take it in consideration big time. The way that I utilize it is I'm just trying to get my next year's crop of rookies a, a season before. That's how I play. Very rarely do I want to select prospects two years, three years out in advance. Now, in this draft, I did. If they have a special, special talent, at least I believe they're that special, I'm willing to take a risk on a guy. I will not build my entire Debbie roster around, you know, two and three year out, you know, potential prospects. Just too many things can happen. Too many things can happen from uh, the physical standpoint, mentally. What if they don't want to do it anymore or they're removed from the team? I just think that you have to be very, very careful uh, when you're when you're investing that draft capital in these Debbie prospects because so much can change in, in, in two, three years from now. It's tough. Ray, you kind of touched on it, and predicting the future in this business is not usually a good idea, but when you look at a superstar quarterback prospect like Lawrence, maybe even Tua, you know, not only are they going to be at a disadvantage of, hey, rookie quarterbacks don't produce that much in the NFL anyway, but chances are they're going to be on the worst team in the league. You know, Tua's going to be a Dolphin or something like that, and I would think that could even stunt them more just fantasy-wise. Spot on. I mean... Absolutely. If if they are that generational type talent, they're going early. And if if a team is picking early, very rarely is a good team picking early. So you have to take all of that into consideration. Now, in Lawrence's case versus Tua, if I had the one on one in a super flex Debbie startup, it would be hard for me not to pass on Trevor. It'd be hard for me to pass on Trevor Lawrence. I just I truly believe that his skill set is. However you want to comp it, Peyton Manning, what, whatever the, 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 the superlatives you want to use. I believe special. that, yeah, he is that special to do that. Um, the player that I took at 107, I feel that he is that special to do that. But then I also counterbalance that with guys that I know will probably be coming out in 2020. But you're absolutely right, Matt. I mean, you've got to take that into consideration. What's Tua going to do with that Dolphins roster next year if, the, if he is, in fact, their selection? Well, let's let's stick on the Tua conversation because he, uh, at least according to every set of Devi rankings that I've seen, um, the way that the way that he's being valued in Devi leagues that I play in, he's the guy to have at quarterback. But then if you look at at these twenty twenty NFL mock drafts, it's kind of a mixed bag between he and Justin Herbert as the top quarterback off the board. Uh, in in your draft, Tua went 1.04. Justin Herbert fell a full round to 2.04. What what do you uh, I guess what do you point to as the the reason for that big gap uh, in the fantasy leagues in in the Devi leagues, despite really no gap when it comes to uh, the way they're being viewed by the NFL. Well, I think I think the the and I really when you sent this question over. What stuck out to me is I believe it's a lot of recency bias. We see Alabama, whether we want to or not, every single Saturday. I mean, we're seeing them every Saturday during the fall. They're normally the team that's playing deep into the college football playoffs. We get to see Tua a heck of a lot more than we're watching or 
the those Pac-12 games, if you're on the East Coast, you're in bed by the t- you're you're deep in sleep by the time the third quarter rolls around. <laughs> so you don't even get to see what Justin Herbert is doing. So it's it's a lot of that is what we see on 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 a daily basis during the fall. We just see Alabama more than we see Oregon. And I'd venture to say that a lot of people who aren't valuing Herbert very highly now, they probably never even watched a game of him. You know, you're, 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 you're using that information that you've seen on Twitter. You watched a couple of highlights. You looked at his completion percentage, taking a dip from his, you know, sophomore season to his junior year, and you're making that assumption based off of that. Now, Tua is a fantastic quarterback prospect, but I think that Herbert has the skill set and the tools, hence the reason some of the NFL guys are, are, are ranking him you know, you got a couple that rank them high, him higher than Tua uh, Tungabaloa right now. So I think a lot of it is that recency bias that we have, the fact that we get to see Alabama so much on the biggest stage uh, in college football. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that probably happens a lot uh, with those West Coast guys or Pac-12 guys. It, it seems like, um, you know, come March, April, when we really start digging into into things, we it's almost like we discovered these guys that have really been good, you know, throughout their career. Right. Let's talk a little bit about Georgia. They've got Jake Fromm, of course. Last year they had Justin Fields as well. Now he's off to Ohio State after transferring. Uh, both of those guys, according to most, are considered top five Devi assets at the position. Which one do you think is the better Devi investment? Well, and, and even before Justin Fields, they had Jacob Eason, who was a I think he was a top five overall recruit in the country. And Jake Fromm is like the Terminator. He just outlasts <laughs> everybody. And whomever comes in, you, if you're a high school quarterback listening to this show, just don't go to Georgia as long as Jake Fromm is there. You will <laughs> be transferring at some point in time as long as Fromm's there. But between the two, uh, it's – I'll just say that Justin Fields, I, I think his potential is through the roof. And – I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I believe uh, 24-7 Sports had him rated like the number eight recruit in high school football history. I mean, that much wow. potential with, yeah, of, of any position, offense, defense, like that high. Um, and he's he, at Ohio State now, right? Yes, he he, trans- okay. yes, he transferred to Ohio State. It, it's really how you want to to build your roster. I think the upside – the rushing ability that Justin Fields has, it, it, it's all dependent on your league format and do you want to take that risk. He did show flashes last year. I mean, they, they played both guys last year, you know. Georgia was pulling Fromm off the field to get Justin Fields on the field. Um, Fromm seems safe to me. He seems like the, a, a safe quarterback. He's got a really good completion percentage. He's not going to make a lot of mistakes. I don't think that he's ever going to just win you games outright. I, I see him as a safe floor quarterback who's going to give you production at the next level. Justin Fields, is he's got elite potential. I mean, Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, he's got that type of potential, but we haven't seen it yet. And again, back to the dilemma that we talked about earlier, he's not eligible until 2021. So we've got to wait a little bit longer for that. So I, I think it's going to come down to how you value rushing quarterbacks opposed to, you know, that traditional pocket passer. And do you want to play it safe or do you want to swing for the fences when you're looking at those two? Fromm just seems like a very low upside guy that I've seen from him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he'll, he'll be a starter and he'll win games and he's going to complete passes and he's not going to make a lot of mistakes. 
but he's not going to go out there and win you weeks. There's, I just don't see that from Jake Fromm. Well, fantasy players have been chasing those those running quarterbacks for years, right? I mean, even if we, uh, I mean, Michael Vick changed the game, Randall Cunningham changed the game, and and we've had Cam Newton and, and these other guys uh, in more recent years. But even over the past few months, we've seen how really the dynasty community has gone crazy for Kyler Murray. And I think the same thing could happen in a couple of years when, uh, when Justin Fields is, is coming out in that 2021 class. Agreed. hundred uh, percent. Ray, any other quarterbacks that we should have on that watch list for the 2020 draft? Tell us, a, th- throw us a couple more names out. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got two more names that I think people that will start to pick up steam this year. One is Stanford quarterback, KJ Costello. He's he can throw the ball. I mean, a lot of people again. Pac-12. You're not watching those Stanford games at midnight, but 65 percent completion percentage last year, over 3,500 yards, 29 TDs. I've heard multiple people say that from a, from an arm talent standpoint, arm talent alone. I mean, he's right up there with Andrew Luck as far as how he can deliver that football. Now, he's not Andrew Luck by any stretch, but. Just arm talent-wise, I think K.J. Costello is going to start gaining some steam. And Jordan Love, remember the name Jordan Love out of Utah State. Now, we talk about Pac-12 and watching them. Utah, Nobody's watching Utah State. I'm sorry if you guys have Utah State listeners out there, but unless you're <laughs> out there, you're not watching a Utah State game. But Jordan Love, I mean, this kid last year, 3,500 passing yards, 32 TDs, six interceptions, 64% completion percentage, and I can't name a wide receiver that they, that they had. But for him to, to put up those type of numbers, and he's got that prototype size, 6'4", 230 pounds, but he's not a statute. He can move around, beautiful delivery. I think both of those guys are players who can work themselves into that late one, uh, early day two conversation from that quarterback position. I think we will hear a lot about those two this fall. Right, I think for uh, – a long time, it seems like people have thought of that class of 2020 as a running back class. We had so many, so many of these running backs really break out as true freshmen. We, the names have been kind of at, at the front of our minds for a couple of years now, maybe even longer if they were top recruits. But it seemed like last year, especially the second half of the season, things kind of shifted, and we these wide receivers really started coming up in rankings. Uh, is 2020 a running back draft or a wide receiver draft? Oh, you're getting me excited now because I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I think this is a loaded question. Um, if I had to pick between the two, I would say it is a wide receiver class. But gosh, Ooh, the, but I the, like that. But, but the running backs are talented too. But as far as why, if you could punt on a running back or a wide receiver in the first round next year in 2020 and still grab a stud in the second round. I don't think you can do that with the running back spot. If you don't get one of the top guys in this 2020 class, I think you're really you're digging deep in that second and third round for running back prospects. But wide receiver is so so deep uh, in this 2020 class. It, it is uh, it's really unreal that the potential that this class has at the wide receiver position. I mean, 2014 type of class. Huh? It, abs, abs, yeah. Absolutely. If not, Matt. If not more. Wow. If here we not go. More, <laughs> If not more, <laughs> that was in that class, Evans. I, yeah, I hear right. you. I hear you. I know. But this this <laughs> class, I, I've said it before. These next two classes, 
it's going to be that that generational. It's it's going to change the NFL. These these players have the potential to sort of usher out the old and bring in the new uh, at the skill position positions in the NFL. I really firmly believe that can happen these next couple of years. Ray, I've got to eat my words here a little bit. We've we've talked. Uh, you know, we had we had this the ver- this version of this show last year, and I remember saying the 2019 wide receiver class <laughs> was going to be the 2014 wide receiver class, or maybe even better. And uh, certainly, we have a, a a long way to go. But through this uh, through this draft process, and now as we get close to training camp, it, it certainly doesn't look like 2019 is going to rival 2014 from a wide receiver perspective. But I like hearing you say that 2020 might, or, or maybe even 2021. Um, let, let's talk about a couple of the receivers. Jerry Judy seems like he's already being valued as a sure thing in Dynasty. Do you think he comes in? Obviously, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's no, it's no big step to say he's going to be a first rounder, you know, potentially even a top five, top 10 pick in the NFL. Does he come in and just become a top 15 Dynasty wide receiver from day one? Is that how he's going to be valued? I think that's how he's going to be valued. Absolutely. Do I think he? Do I think he has the potential to do that? Sure. Do I think it's a, a realistic uh, outlook that dynasty owners should have right now? No. N- no. Not. Not yet. Yeah. There's so many things. If he is a top five, top ten pick, l- let's look at what offensive situation he falls into. He is not the biggest wide receiver. As much as people want to believe that every wide receiver runs a 4-3, I don't believe he runs a 4-3-40. We'll see at the combine. But he is a fantastic, talented wide receiver that I think will have an, an, an impact for Dynasty owners and have an impact in the NFL year one. But top 15, I, I, I just I don't see that for any of these guys uh, right now, right away. That's just that, that is a lot to put on a Dynasty owner and a lot of expectation that these guys have to live up to. But I do think he can have, you know, Calvin Ridley-level production in year one. I think he's a better prospect than Calvin Ridley. I think he is a better prospect than Ridley. Will he land in an Atlanta Falcons situation? I don't know. I don't know many wide receivers that land in that type of offense year one and have the, that opportunity to produce, but he is a fantastic wide receiver prospect. But he has top five potential in year three, four, or whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ray, the crazy thing about the receiver class is while Judy's probably the most well-known, he's not even the surefire wide receiver one in the class. There's, I mean, you could make a case for two or three other guys, maybe even more than that. Um, Jalen Rager, Tyler Johnson, CD lamb, even uh, Judy even has a couple teammates there at Alabama who are both look or who are looking good as well. Tell us just kind of, from that 2020 receiver class, who are some that are standing out to you so far? Well, you got me excited again because you said Tyler Johnson and Jalen Rager. Those are two guys that I'm I'm really high on, and they play in situations that a lot of people don't they don't pay attention to TCU football or, or, or Minnesota football. But both of those guys, if there were two or three prospects that I think could challenge Judy for that wide receiver one spot. It's those two followed by CeeDee Lamb. I think they're all – and what's so interesting about this class and what's so – why Dynasty owners should be excited is each one of these receivers are so unique and different. In their, none of them are the same, you know. 
they all do things differently and it's just going to i really think the x factor is going to be where they land the situations that they land but jalen rager is he's so dynamic i mean the things that he can do with the football in his hand at tcu out of the backfield uh outside as a wide receiver in the slot i do not like to comp college kids to to professional athletes especially this early on let 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 the fall kick off before we do that but when I watch Jalen Rager and and I stand by this I see a more explosive Percy Harvin and a lot of people Mm. when they hear that they think Percy he but think about what Percy was when he had Brett Favre I mean he was a dynamic playmaker before offenses got really innovated like they are now but he's 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 faster than Percy Harvin they're identical in size I really think his game is 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 Percy Harvin esque, and with Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota at at six foot two, two hundred pounds, he is the best route runner in this twenty twenty class. I mean, he's savvy. He's not the most athletic. He's not the most explosive. But when you watch his game, he just knows how to get open. He's just smooth, savvy, savvy wide receiver. And there's something to be said about a senior wide receiver coming out, not a junior. Not a redshirt sophomore, someone who's been there for four years and has seen every coverage, who's played in almost every situation in the Big Ten. I really like Tyler Johnson. Good stuff there, and good stuff from our friends over at Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team just like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it yet? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is all about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. You think that sounds complicated, but it really isn't. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. So if you think you're among the fantasy elite, and I bet many of you do, well, this is a platform to test your mettle. Still not sure? You can still test out your general manager skills for free in a mock draft-free agency auction. If you like what you see, use our promo code BLUEPRINT, all lowercase, all one word, to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Ray, let's go back to the running backs because it's those running backs who really dominated the early part of your Devi draft that we've been talking about today. Uh, DeAndre Swift, Travis Etienne, Jonathan Taylor were all top five picks in that format. Which one of those three guys is your favorite and why? DeAndre Swift, uh, hands down. DeAndre Swift, I think what he can do, he's a three-down back. He's not the biggest guy. Uh, He's not the fastest straight line. Travis Etienne is, is much faster, I believe, in a straight line. But the way that we play Dynasty and where those valuable points are accrued in the in the passing game, he does it. You can line him up outside. He can run between the tackles. He is as shifty as LaShawn McCoy when, when, when Shady was Shady McCoy, you know. This guy can stop on a dime. His lateral agility, he's got power. He can, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think, the, and, and he's doing it in the the AAA of NFL breeding grounds in the SEC. Uh, he's, he's done this. And, and what I really like about uh, Swift, a lot of people point to the fact that he's not the workhorse. He well, he didn't have 300 carries like Jonathan Taylor. I don't mind that whatsoever. Preserve that, preserve that body a little. He's shown me everything that I need to see on tape already to, to really believe that at the next level 
he's going to have an immediate impact in the NFL. Is he going to be Saquon Barkley? No, I, I don't think he's that level of, of a runner, but he is by far uh, my top rated running back in the 2020 class. And I just don't see that. I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. Ray, is it safe to say too, that not only is he a much more accomplished receiver, but a much better receiver than ATN and Taylor at this point too? Well, a couple of weeks ago, ETN said he was a little scared to catch the ball, which was just, I heard that. That's crazy, yeah. Just, just, but you can see it. He didn't need to say that to to show what is already evidence, whether it's data or on film. He's just not comfortable in the receiving game, and he said that. Taylor, one of the things that I say, Matt, is just because a prospect didn't do something in college doesn't mean they're incapable of doing it at the next level. Melvin Gordon didn't catch a lot of balls at Wisconsin, but he's shown to be a very capable pass catcher at the next level. So I'm not saying these guys can't do it, but, you know, cliche, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. I just feel a lot more comfortable with somebody that I've seen do it at the highest level opposed to, well, maybe if he, you know, gets with the right running back coach and maybe he'll be able to develop into a pass catcher at the next level. He's more accomplished. He's proven he can do it and he can run the ball between the tackles outside. He's a three-down back. Right, there's some other running backs uh, that are looking like strong 2020 prospects as well outside of those three, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, uh, Eno Benjamin, and and a few others in that range. Uh, Of those guys who went maybe in the first or second round of your Debbie draft, which one worries you a little bit? Which one do you could you see becoming an NFL bust? I've got I've got two guys. Uh, one is AJ Dillon, the running back out of Boston College. I understand that he was ultra productive uh, so far to his career in BC, but it's just he too is he the humongous he, guy? He's a big guy. He's, yeah, he's a yeah, he's large 200, mammal. Two hundred and fifty pounds. Um, he's just a freight train, right? If if I just don't see him. I, I wouldn't touch A.J. Dillon. I, I wouldn't draft him in the second round. I wouldn't invest a third-round Debbie pick in him. If I miss on A.J. Dillon, so be it. I just His skill set does not fit what we want to see as dynasty owners, as fantasy football players. I, I can see him being a, a, a two-down back at best, goal line guy at best, and the worst thing to try to predict in fantasy football are touchdowns, and I think he's going to be touchdown dependent. Cam Akers is another guy, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. You know, he was a high, high five-star recruit coming out of high school, ultra-talented. I think his spark score was through the roof. And granted, Florida State was a mess last year. I I don't know what happened to Florida State. The offensive line was in shambles, quarterback, new head coach. But I'm just concerned about Cam Akers and the dip in production that he had. And he just looked hesitant on film. If you just look at the numbers – uh, he went from 1,030 yards rushing to 700 yards rushing. His yards per carry went down a full yard, and he just looked tentative running the ball. I'm very, very – the talent is there. The talent, the upside, the potential. I'm just concerned that Akers, people are going to invest, you know, top 10, top 8 draft capital in him next year, and it's just not going to click. I'm very, very concerned about those two guys. Dobbins is another one, though, whose stock has dropped, though, right? Absolutely. J.K. Yeah. is right there as well. I think he's, a, I think he's a, a good back. I think he's a solid running back. 
I see nothing special. You know, a lot of people want to look at that Ohio State uniform and think Ezekiel Elliott. He's not Zeke. I mean, he's not He's not Zeke. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the size. doesn't have the power. Shared the backfield with Mike Weber last year. And I think I, I'm, I'm concerned about J.K. Dobbins as well. I, 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 have, I have my concerns about him. So going back to that running back versus wide receiver conversation, we're kind of seeing why. These are all, again, names we know, but – Dobbins stock has dropped a little bit. Akers really hasn't lived up to his, um, you know, his recruiting status and his, his five stars. Um, and then even guys like, uh, I mean, Stephen Carr was fantastic as a freshman for USC and, and had a, I mean, a, a horrendous uh, sophomore season. He's not even really on the radar yeah. anymore. And, and there's a couple other guys in that range while the wide receivers have just you know just just keep clicking along and um, and there's I mean there's so many there's there's a dozen <laughs> wide receivers right yeah 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 I mean we're making the case for the question right now I mean I yeah. can just go down the line of why we can just talk about wide receivers all day because it's deep <laughs> it's deep can we talk about one more that we didn't really bring up that I've read about that almost sounds like he's too good to be true he seems like a good version of Cordero Patterson in this. Uh, Sanalt kid from Colorado. He seems like a total freak. Ah, uh, LaVisca. LaVisca yeah. Chenault. Um, I'll say this, Matt. He will be the player that I watched more than any other prospect really? this fall because uh, the talent is there. And when you look at uh, some of these guys who, who, who do NFL mock drafts, I mean, you see Chenault top 10 potential, Chenault top 15 in the NFL draft, Mm -hmm. the talent is there. You know, coming out of high school, he was not a highly rated kid. You know, three-star prospect, 6'2", 220-pound tank. He's dynamic when he gets the ball in his hands. The the issue that I have, two main things with Chenault. One is his injury history. I mean, he battled injuries, you know, torn labrum. Uh, He had a foot issue. He still wasn't cleared for spring practices this, this spring that he's dealing with. So coming in the NFL, he's already banged up and, you know, big wide receivers and feet. And then two, it was his usage at Colorado. Now they didn't have a lot of other help on that, on that Buffalo's team, but it was how they used Chenault. He's a wide receiver, but if you turn on the highlights, he was playing quarterback. He was lined up in the backfield. Uh, His average depth of target. A lot of passes were screen routes, flare routes out of the backfield. He's got a limited route tree this early. I'm not saying that he's he, he's bust potential or any of that, but I really, really have to pay attention to Chenault uh, this season because he came out of nowhere last year, and he only played nine games. So I think he's he's one of the more polarizing prospects for me, but that the talent and the potential is there for him to be absolutely unstoppable. I, I think he's got that talent, but we I really got to see it this year. And it's not good to have the second when you have the first of those concerns. You know, like, he takes a beating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he takes a beating, and, I mean, he couldn't, finish, he couldn't finish the season last year. And, again, I know it's something minor, but he, he wasn't cleared for spring practices. Not he was okay, but they just held him out precautionary reasons. He wasn't cleared. Something was still up with that foot, and uh, I don't know. His usage won't stop this year. They're going to still use him the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he's going in that pre-draft process banged up, that's just it's a tough pill to swallow at this point in time. I think I saw him. He already basically announced that he was coming out after this year. Is that right? Yeah, he's, he already said, I'm done. I, I'm gone after this year. So I, I don't know. I'll be I'll be paying attention to him this fall for sure. 
Ray, we've covered a lot of guys today at, at these three positions, uh, but just take a minute here as we wrap up the show to to talk about one or two others of your favorites, and, and these can be first-round guys or, or deeper players that you want our listeners to know about. All right, two guys I really want to touch on that I am very excited about because I think as dynasty owners we can get them in the second round. Well, right now we can get them in the second round. We'll see what happens this fall. But let's look at the wide receiver position and – we talk about Jerry Judy and Tuatunga Vailoa, but there's a guy out there named Henry Ruggs III. Last, this past draft season, we were trying to find the next Tyreek Hill level of talent. You know, Nicole Hardman, Andy Isabella. Henry Ruggs III has legitimate Tyreek Hill speed. I posted something on Twitter a month ago. The fastest play recorded in the NFL over the past three years was a a kick return from Tyreek Hill versus the Texans in 2016. I think his miles per hour, we'll just say it was 23 and a half, and that was the fastest play in the NFL, uh, Tyreek Hill, 106-yard kick return. Henry Ruggs had the fastest play in college football last year. It was a screen play. Uh, His time in that in-game speed was faster than Tyreek Hill, so he's got elite speed, but he's not just a guy that runs straight in a fast line. It translates to the field. There was a report that came out earlier this week that people inside the Alabama organization say he's the most competitive player on that team. He can catch the ball. He can run after the catch. He's got elite speed. I think that in the right situation, Henry Ruggs could, I mean, his ceiling, I firmly believe his ceiling of all the wide receiver prospects is the highest because of what he can do on the field. His ceiling, will he reach that? Don't know. He's a raw Uh, wide receiver from a technical standpoint, but just when the ball is his first five touches at Alabama, his first five touches went for touchdowns. The first five touches, just not plays or, you know, (laughs) series. His first five touches went for for TD. So Henry Ruggs, and and he's not going to get the attention and the accolade. Alabama's got four wide receivers that I'm telling you right now, they'll be drafted in the NFL, four of them, and then a, a litany of running backs. He's a fantastic wide receiver prospect, and my favorite, my favorite guy uh, for for dynasty purposes is Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard. I am a Chuba Hubbard fan. You know, a lot of people were excited about Justice Hill, uh, his NFL draft potential this year, landing with the Ravens. I think he was a fourth-round pick. The season before this past one, Justice Hill had like 1,400 rushing yards, I mean, he looked like he was about to just obliterate everybody in the Big 12 uh, in 2018. But his production dipped. He didn't even hit 1,000 rushing yards, and part of that was he had a little bit of injury history, uh, a little bit of injury, but Chuba Hubbard was a big reason why his production took a dip last year. Hubbard, six foot one, 207 pounds, legitimate track speed, 10, 500-meter dash in high school. I mean, his production as a redshirt freshman this past season – over 700 rushing yards. I think he had over 200 receiving yards. He's shown that he can do it in both areas of the field, between the tackles and in the receiving game. And he is my dark horse Big 12 player of the year candidate. I think he's got legitimate three-down ability. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he's eligible for 2020. Will he come out? We'll see. I hope he does. He's a running back. He needs to come out. But there's a chance that he stays in for another season. But Chuba Hubbard is somebody that early this spring, he was going like in Debbie mock drafts, he was going in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. He's climbed his way up second round, and, and that's 
people in the industry. They, they're, they're taking notice that this guy probably has something there that we need to pay attention to. So I think Henry Ruggs, Chuba Hubbard, those are some, some lesser-known guys that I think will explode on the scene. And I know you're out there uh, on the East Coast, Matt. I like Justin Shorter at Penn State as well. I like him and, and Ricky Slade. Uh, I think you guys have a lot. There's a lot of talent out in that area as well. So uh, Chuba Hubbard, uh, Henry Ruggs, and we'll throw Justin Shorter in there as well. Good stuff. Yeah, awesome information, Ray. Really appreciate you joining us today. Tell our listeners where they can find uh, find you on Twitter and find your work. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at RayGQ. That's Q-U-E. And my work will be at uh, DLF here shortly, but uh, doing some stuff just on Twitter. I, I, I love to engage with people. I don't, I don't do the arguing thing. You know, we all have opinions. Half of mine are probably wrong. Half of them may be right. I just like to engage with the, with the dynasty and fantasy football community. But, yeah, find me on Twitter at RayGQ, and make sure you follow the show at Destination Debbie. It's on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, all the podcast services, and soon to be on the DLF podcast family. So really excited about that. Oh, yeah, we are too, for sure. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>